Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. I'll never forget that like somebody, when I was early on in recovery, hearing someone talk at a 12-step meeting about how they talked to somebody who was like, oh my God, I was my birthday and I got so wasted and this happened and that happened. And the person who was an alcoholic said, oh God, did you just wanna die? Did you beat yourself up? Did you feel terrible? And the person said, no, I had an amazing time. And the speaker said, that's how I knew that person didn't have a problem because it's the shame spiral. Um, Take a look at your behavior. This is, but this is the complicated part is it's like, I shop to get myself out of my feelings. I work to escape the moment. I eat chocolate and so the fuck what? Yeah. Like it's not a problem. And like, I think it's very easy to start pathologizing everything. And certainly this happens when people are like, oh my God, you're a sex and love addict. It's like, really? I'm a love addict because like I'm sad about a breakup. I mean, people will go around saying that stuff and I think it can get dangerous. Hi world, it's Ash here, and I've got really just quite the shitstorm for you today, and it's gonna be great. Um, this is Anna David here, and she's a New York Times bestselling author of eight books, not one, not two, eight freaking books. One of them uh, just got bought um, by a producer to have the option to turn it into a movie. Um, she's a founder of Light Hustle Publishing. Uh, Light Hustler, right, Anna? It's confusing. The podcast is called Light Hustler, but the company is called Light Hustle Publishing. See, this is already a mess. I've never had a guest talk to me in the middle of the bio, and you're already just, this is a whole tangent. Okay. She creates best-selling books. We're going to talk about how to identify and release addiction, because everybody talks to her about it. She has all the things to say. She's probably tired of talking about it, but I'm not tired of hearing about it. And God knows everybody has an addiction they don't even know about, whether it's coffee or sugar or boyfriends. So this is going to be one big tangent, and it's going to be really funny and entertaining and content-packed. So thank you for being here, Anna, you crazy, beautiful disaster. (laughs) I am not going to be satisfied until you're addicted to Lizzo. And if your listeners don't know who Lizzo is, they need to go listen. So can can you tell everybody... I get a text message before this interview, everybody listening from Anna and she's like, do you know, are you obsessed with Lizzo? I'm like, who is that? Tell me, tell them what you described her as, but with some sort of class and awareness of social grace on this podcast. I just said that she's a very healthy, uh, bodied version of Cardi B, but 
the thing about her, this is why Ashley are going to be so into her. She just loves herself and loves her body and her self-love is so real. And she's just like, Fierce. can I say a badass bitch? I mean, yeah. she says that all the time in her music. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I've just become obsessed and knowing, knowing our shared love for hip hop, I just was like, Ashley's going to be obsessed with her. And I was shocked to discover that it hadn't quite happened yet. I love discoveries that I haven't had yet because sometimes <laughs> I feel like I already discovered it all. Like between yeah. Drake and little John and all the people I listen to, I'm like, nothing else exists in the music sphere. Oh, you just wait. Oh my God. I can't wait. You know, Cardi B, she's like so real too. Do you watch her on Instagram? She's out of control. No, but I might need to. Oh, she talks about going to the bathroom. Like, she's so shameless. I think one time she had, like, um, a camel toe and, like, started pulling it out. Like, literally, she's fearless (laughs) with herself. Well, which is interesting because that's allegedly my whole vibe is, like, share all the things you shouldn't. But you're, like, I'm not going to share bathroom and um, camel toe. Yeah, Like, I draw the line there. Yes, Cardi B doesn't. And I love watching it because it's just so offensive. And I feel like so many people can't bear it, but I think it's hilarious. Um, okay. Obviously we're already on a tangent. This whole podcast is just one big tangent, but we're obviously going to talk about all the magic that you're creating and what got you here. So can you somehow tell the people about your funny stories and also specifically about party girl, the book that just got bought to become a movie, even if you're not feeling the achievement of it, I am for you. Like, and even if it doesn't become a movie, I think it will. So can we just like talk the whole thing? Yes. Yes. And thank you. And I am. Okay. So party girl is a book that I wrote in 2005 and it's a novel and it was very much based on my life because I had just, I got sober in the year 2000 and right when I got sober, I was, I was hired at this magazine called premiere, which no longer exists (laughs) to do a column called party girl. And I thought it was hilarious that suddenly I have this, like this like column and I'm this, you know, I'm known as this party girl when I've actually just been to rehab all all I do is go to meetings and smoke <laughs> cigarettes and hang out with my cats and my sober friends. And um, I thought that was hilarious. And then, so I thought that was a great setup for a novel. And really, I had, I've had i been a writer my whole life. Like I have on my, oh, you haven't seen it. You haven't been here. But I have my first rejection letter on my kitchen wall. <laughs> and it's from, from when I was 12 years old. And I had, um, I don't even know it's my first rejection letter. I just know it's the first one I saved. So I was already trying to get published as a kid. And it's all I ever wanted to do. And I, I had worked at magazines and I had worked at great magazines and I'd written for like Playboy and Details and Cosmo and all these magazines. And then some one day I walked into an editor of friend's editor's uh, office and he had a book on a shelf by someone I knew. And I was like, it was the first time I was like, wait a minute, if she could write a book, I could completely write a book. <laughs> and I just sat down and wrote Party Girl um, in about six months and have this completely like wonderful Cinderella story experience, which is I had a, I had a sex column back then. Oh my God, this it, is getting it, better and better. Keep going. I know you don't know this, and it was really <laughs> funny. It was a magazine called Razor that also doesn't exist anymore. And <laughs> how many magazines have you written for the time? Oh well, actually, what you don't know is that there was this whole <laughs> magazine industry in like the two thousands and the nineties that was amazing, and they would pay us like five dollars a word. Oh my God. So. It was crazy, crazy, crazy. And I was doing cover stories for like Playboy and Cosmo and, um, and I was in Playboy. Do you know that? Oh my God, Anna, this is escalating and I can't get enough. I know. You thought you knew everything. You were in Playboy, like you were the centerfold front, like what was happening? What was happening was. Yeah. What was um, going on in this thought? I 
uh, in the, about the same time that I was writing Party Girl, a, a girl I did not know reached out to me and she said, I'm the sex columnist for New York Magazine and I want to do a story. I live in New York and I want to do a story where I trade dating lives with somebody in LA and somebody gave me your name. And at that point, I had never done any first person writing. I had just been doing like celebrity profiles and that kind of thing. And so I was like, sure. So she sold that story to Playboy. So I go to New York. I had never met anybody at Playboy. And I met them. And they were like, wait a minute. You should be in this. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, cool. Where where do I go? And we did a shoot. We are not naked, but we are quite scantily clad. And it's like, I'm wearing, I'm wearing just a G-string. And there's just a six-page spread. So I'm wearing just a G-string in one of them. But I'm lying on my stomach. Like, you really can't see anything but okay. ass. Okay. Uh, Fair. And then that story ended up becoming a huge deal. And it was optioned um, and made into a reality show pilot. And from that, people were like, whoa, you write for Playboy, uh, you know, about your dating and sex life. You must know a lot about sex. I was like, oh, do I don't know. Like, you'll pay me? And they were like, yeah. And so then I got hired on this show called Attack of the Show. And I was on it for four years. Oh, my giving God. Giving dating advice with this woman, Olivia Munn, who's now like a big actress. Anna, um, where is this life that I have never asked you about? I don't know. I don't do you know, know what it is? Because like... my current life is interesting, so you haven't even had to go into the past. But that's I know. All- that's all real. Yeah, that's true. Um, so anyway, because of that, I had agents who were interested in my writing and me because I was already like out there a lot doing that stuff. So I, I, you know, picked an agent and then she sold Party Girl, you know, that week. And you know that whole story because yeah. I kind of walked you through your experience selling your book. Mm-hmm. And um and then, and then I did um, five more books with Harper Collins. And, and and I'm not cynical about. I really do hope Party Girl the movie is made. But the rights have been optioned over and over and over again. So really, what I do is I just like celebrate when it happens and have no expectations about mm. the movie because mm. been down that road. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, Anna, you're. It's like I remember the first time I saw you. It sounds like we're dating. We kind of are. I kind of. We want to yeah. be each other when we grow up. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, like people think we're related. I, yeah. you know, I like to bring that up and it's, I get it. I get it. I, I mean, honestly, like I'm just learning about all the new dimensions of Anna David and it's really evolving right now on this podcast. So thank God for that. And yeah. I remember the first time I saw you, you were speaking in front of, at Sarah and Craig's house. Um, yep. And I was like, oh my God, you know, when you see somebody else and you're like, they need to know me and I need to know them, but it's like this creepy attachment of like, this needs to happen. And I was going to like push somebody over. I didn't know this. Yeah. Like I needed to know you. And I had like a crush on a random guy there, which, you know, we all know now I'm dating somebody. So bless that. But I had a crush on a, a random guy there and he was talking to you and I'm like, ugh. In my head, I'm like, obviously, he's talking to her. She's so cool. But she's kind of like me. Like, I had this whole dialogue in uh, my head. This, how have you waited this long? This is like you not knowing about my Playboy. Who I is know. the guy? We can't say. Huh? We can't say because it's going to embarrass me. But I'm going to text it to you. T- okay, tell me after. Um, oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, okay, but not the producer. So what ended up happening? So I didn't know any of this. And in fact, okay, so but then what happened is a producer 
was there also, um, Martin Scorsese's producer, and he came up and started talking to me, and he ended up optioning the rights based on that exact conversation, speaking thing. Yeah, with and you because he her. loves you, he loves me. So he's like, oh my God, you're kind of like Anna. We should talk. He oh loves my. you. And we're supposed to go to tea. I know, remember we really that? should. We should really make that plan. Um, yeah, let's. That, that, that's once you text me who the boy was, then I'm going to text you back and we're going to make it's a plan. It's definitely weird. You're going to not expect this man to be who I'm texting you. Um, Talking about your success, it's really funny because you are kind of like this whimsical, naturally successful person, but you've kind of worked through your own blocks and like lies um, to Uh. yourself. So for everybody listening, before we get into addiction and all the things that I will be asking you about, because we will have a civilized conversation at some point in our lives together, and it's going to happen here. Oh, we we think, maybe. We think, we think. Like, what are some of the lies you've worked through? Because I feel like you're stepping into a level of success with Light Hustle Publishing. Um, You have been publishing so many best-selling, self-published books. And I just want everybody to kind of grasp what your journey was getting here. Because I think a lot of people will relate to that. I mean, and I think I'll tell you stuff that you don't you don't know about me. I mean, so so my you know original sort of evolution obviously came with going to rehab and getting sober in 2000. And before that, I was like a very low functioning cocaine addict, and it was pretty sad and pretty dark. It was like good, and then and then late 20s, very sad and very dark and very gross, and I mean sad and horrible. And I didn't want to live. And I ended up going to rehab and discovering that sobriety wasn't like the end of life, but the beginning. And, Mm. and I, you know, and I really, my life began then Mm. and, and life got really good, but I still had a lot to work through. And really, you know, I had trauma, you know, I have had trauma in my childhood and, and, and it's confusing. It's not very clear. And so, and so I think that I didn't understand how much I struggled with, um, self-worth because I had a lot of, uh, seeming confidence, but it was very much like I'm that piece of crap in the center of the universe. Like when it came down to it, it was like this self-obsession and like, I'm really great. I'm really great. Right. And if you give me attention, then I believe I'm really great. But if you don't, I believe I'm worthless. Like that was really where as a result of how I grew up and, you know, and I'm also the younger sister to a, 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 an older brother. My older brother is very smart. I now see I am too, but my childhood, it was like, he's so smart. He's so smart. Oh, she's cute. You know? And, um, my family gives a lot of like, it was just always, he's so amazing. He's so amazing. And now that I'm amazing too, (laughs) I really see that that's a story we're not going to break. You know? Um, I have this experience, you know, my friend, um, Lauren, who, you know, came with me to see my family. And she was just like a step. She just like, they won't see me. They, you know, in the way, like when I was on TV, you know, doing that show with Olivia Munn and I was on the Today Show and the talk. And I don't know if you know that too, Fox News, like three times a week. And when, at one time my dad goes, Anna, my friend Dave saw you on television. And I was like, yeah, no, dad, I'm on pretty much every day now. And he's like, television like they won't they act like I'm making it up if it comes from me and so they don't read my books they don't do you know I gave three TEDx talks that were very near them they didn't come you know so wow. I I have a lot of um uh conflicting confusing feelings about uh my worth uh, particularly in regards to accomplishments because it's also a family that's obsessed with accomplishments so it's this bizarre message of you have to accomplish so much but you you didn't really do anything and i'm mm. like but i did i'm mm. doing it that's so interesting and, yeah and so 
And so I, when, uh, you know, when we first met after the faded uh, conversation, then we met and we were both kind of going through a thing, like a breakup ish thing. We were both over it, but going through it. And exactly a year ago is when I went through this breakup that just traumatized me. And it actually sent me into EMDR therapy where I actually worked on my trauma. Mm. And so, yeah, I'm in the best period of my life now because I actually started to break down. What is this? Like what the reason that breakup was so traumatizing was this guy who was actually incredibly ordinary, nothing like, like the amazing guy I'm with now, just a very ordinary person. Cause it doesn't matter. I had given him all this power. And the minute he sort of was like, yeah, I don't know if I want this. I, I felt worthless. Mm, mm. Yeah. You have been, um, first of all, I mean, with the amount of energy you have, I just can't even imagine you doing cocaine. I know. I know people say that. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I just don't even, but I also am curious, like going through that, like that feels like a lifelong journey. And I think a lot of people have that with their family where they don't feel seen or they don't feel valued or they don't feel understood. So yeah. what, what have you done in your life? Not just like the EMDR therapy, which by the way, can you explain what that is? So what, so explain EMDR and then what have you done in your life to create that sense of being understood elsewhere? Yes. Great question. So EMDR is this form of therapy where it's a bilateral brain stimulation. So they can either do it by, um, like a therapist can take a pencil and like, you know, sort of tick tock in front of your eyes. And it's like bilateral stimulation with your eyes. The way I do it is with these like pulsating orbs that my therapist puts in each hand and she turns this little machine on, by the way, you can buy these machines on Amazon. You could do it to yourself, but it's not recommended. And, and we, <laughs> you know, and you go to like a memory. What, so let's talk about this. And then like, and then she turns the things on and, and what is happening scientifically is your brain is reprocessing these traumas and the way you feel as a result of it is incredibly different. Like I had a radical beyond bizarre shift and like, Oh my God, I'm amazing. I never knew I was amazing until last year. I really didn't. Mm. I, I thought when people told me that they were confused, they were getting me mixed up with someone else. They were lying. Like I just didn't get it. You know, it's no mistake that we became friends last year, right? When you somehow just happen to realize how great you are. I know, right? Do you think it's me, right? Anna? Do you think it's me? <laughs> I think you're not not a part of it, if you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah. you are a part of it. <laughs> like, okay, so you okay, went through... So other things. But other things that people can do besides EMDR. Um, this yeah. one's kind of obvious, but stop seeking the validation. I used to send my mom all my articles. I used to dedicate my books to her. Wow. I just don't tell them anything. And in fact, I just try to make the conversations about them because otherwise I'm constantly in that battle of being like 12 years old. And do you see me? I'm like, Oh, I did this. Like if, if something incredible happens to me, like they don't know the movie rights old because I would tell them and I would be so hurt by their lack of a response. So just don't engage. Mm. And, and really realize, like, I think I spent a lot of my life um, seeking out relationships that were like that. Now, my boyfriend, my best friend, all my friends, like, we support each other. There's no competition. There's no undermining. Like, we celebrate each other's successes, all of that. I think um, it's such a high consciousness thing to do to celebrate other people because there are so many hidden, I think, worthiness things that we all have that make it sometimes challenging for people to celebrate others. 
Well, you're like the queen of that. I mean, that's what's so interesting of like you and like, and I'm adjunct, I'm getting closer and in, into the inner circle, but I'm still slightly adjunct so I can see the circle. Like <laughs> you are in like, my inner circle. What are you talking know, about? I you know, have this whole story. Know, but I'm, this but is I all part of it. I can see it. I can still see it. Like, like the fact that you have all these women who are like all incredibly powerful, incredibly successful, most of whom I'm sure have been on this podcast and how there's no competitiveness and yeah, it's all love is very rare. Yeah, I think it is really a powerful thing. And one of my favorite things is um, when I started my business, I've never really talked to you about this, which I don't know. It's There's so many things we could talk about. You and I could literally be alone in a white room and just figure out life. But Or a black room, yeah. It, you know, it's so great. I just forgot what I was going to tell you, too. So it just left. Oh, so anyway. No, no, okay. Friends and, and oh, support. Yes. So back when I started my business in 2013 or something like that, I used to see all these online celebrity, whatever, famous internet people. And I used to feel like two things. Like one was like a, like a desperate hunger to be one of them. And I kind of played that out and then realized, oh, I don't want to be, I don't feel like motivated by any sort of fame. I just feel motivated by connection and being understood with people and expressing myself. Um, but I also felt a distance, like that's them and I'm here. And okay. one of the most interesting things has been like just putting my head down, doing the work. I think all of 2014, 15, I didn't care about anything but work. And obviously I've healed a lot since that. And there's been so much transformation for me in like creating success, losing success, creating more success, you know, like the, the relationships I've chosen throughout that process. It's like entrepreneurship has been such a vehicle, like for you too, of self understanding and personal development. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's been one of my favorite things kind of relating back to my friends is that there are some women in my circle that I used to see on the internet and have these thoughts about. And, um, one of them was at my birthday dinner last night and I used to have a whole story about her. Like I remember seeing her at one of them online and being like, Oh my God, like she, her, she really stands for luxury and ex like, you know, being amazing. And I always kind of judged it like, oh, don't you wish you were me? Like that was kind of how her marketing looked to me. Like, don't you okay. wish you were me? I'm amazing. And meeting her and really seeing her for who she is, she's like one of the best people I've ever met and nothing like the story I was running in my head. And it's just been so healing for me in this weird layer of it all to become friends with people who I used to think were out there and separate from me. Right, right. And to see how much we confide in each other and talk. And I mean, I've obviously, you know, I couldn't be friends with somebody I have on a pedestal. So the pedestal has definitely left the building years ago with a lot of them. Um, and by the right. time I met them, I didn't have them on a pedestal anymore. We were peers in our businesses or in our lives in some way. But um, it's been really profound, not just to be collaborative with them, but to realize how human they are. And th the spectrum is all over. It's like, the humanity of having the friend who has a lot of wealth and married a billionaire but is going through XYZ or the the body image expert who's having challenges with her body image today. You know, it's right, like right. so good. It's such a healing circle of, of women. And I think it's so hilarious that you're still in your story of being on the periphery. <laughs> It. Because, like, I don't want to be in anyone. Like, what I thrive off of it's is, like, periphery. being able to step into anything. Yeah, you yeah, know what totally I mean? Do. So true. I so, like, exactly get what you're saying. Okay, so identifying and releasing addiction. Everybody's addicted to something. Uh, what's addiction mean for you and for everybody listening? 
Well, my definition of an addict is someone who feels so is so uncomfortable with how they feel in that moment that they'll do anything they can to change it, even if changing it may mean doing something that could kill you. And we all have our different things. Like cocaine did it for me. Sex does it for someone else. Ice cream does it for another person. Um, and, you know, I think what it is is accepting the fact that, like, Life is profoundly uncomfortable. You know, I have a friend, a spiritual guy who says, you know, life is about getting comfortable with discomfort. Mm -hmm. And if we can kind of take it down to just like, I'm just uncomfortable, like horrible depressions, breakups, fear, just call it uncomfortable. It becomes so much more manageable. But I also think addiction and out. So I use addict and alcoholic interchangeably. They're the same thing to me. Um, and I, it's to me, it's not about how much you drink, how many DUIs you get or anything like that. It's like, um, the way you think. And it's like, I, like I said, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about, or I'm the piece of crap in the center of the universe. It's this like intense self-hatred coupled with a lot of self-obsession. And it is a genetically, you know, this is what I think, you know, there's a lot of argument in recovery circles. Like, is it a disease? Is it genetic? I think you can have you do have a genetic predisposition. It's in my family for sure. But that predisposition can be sort of exacerbated or diminished depending on what happens to you during your formative years. Unfortunately, a lot of alcoholic parents do not make the best parents. So that then, you know, they're passing along the gene, but also the kid is not getting um, all the love and support and, you know, all of that that they need. But I think at a certain point, it's like, who cares? Who cares what it came from? It's like you become somebody who at first feels that alcohol or drugs or whatever it is gives you this amazing release and this amazing solution, and then it turns on you, and then you want to die, and then you get sober. And that's been true for thousands of people that I know. Wow, wow. And I think everybody has something, you know? And one thing that... I've kind of gotten hip to and shifted for myself when my business went under and I was rebuilding it was how much I like shopping. And it's so slippery in society because I think a lot of, there's a lot of like social things that justify addiction, you know, like, um, like, like, oh, it's, of course women just shop, you know, like there's that story in society. Well, all women love shopping, but to what, to what extent? And like you said, it's not about the thing. It's about the motor that's driving it, the thoughts that you're having. So if I could use myself as your subject just to help educate everybody listening and for me to get a free coaching session from you right now as per usual. Oh, yeah. So I worked through a lot of this in therapy and I didn't really go for this. I kind of went for love and like, why did I call off my wedding and why did my business go under and, you know, doing all that personal development, self-love stuff that has been so powerful for me the past. I mean, I've always loved going to therapy. I think I would just go and talk about the weather if I had nothing else. Um, but I'm curious, like how does somebody right now, what I would love to happen is a listener right now realizes they have an addiction for me when I realized, oh wow, this shopping thing is not just girls love shopping. It was, I remember like really losing everything, looking at my bank account and being like, I absolutely cannot afford to shop. Like I need to pay my rent. I'm barely going to make that happen. I need to fix this business. I had so many closing out expenses for my company, lawyers, all this stuff. So I went from making, you know, $5 million in two months to, you know, living at my parents' house. And I remember my friend, this is so ridiculous, wearing a Gucci belt and I just wanted the belt. (laughs) 
And so off I went to get my Gucci belt and it just totally was an expense I could not afford. And it really affected me being able to get groceries that month. Wow. And so I was, that was when I was like, what am I doing? And my mom, she was like, you can't stop yourself from buying something to the point where you don't have money for groceries. Right. You know? And I think that I always, like a lot of women felt this false security blanket of like, well, I'm always going to make more money because that's true. Or like, well, I have parents and family and I could stay here and just eat out of their house. But it was like, no, 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 this isn't cool. Like I need to work through this. So for anybody listening, like what are some indicators that could help them see that before they got to that moment that I was having? Well, it is basically that moment sometimes may be required in order to make a change. That's sort of like the hitting bottom moment, but it's, you know, a sign of addiction is like when your life is unmanageable and the way you think about it doesn't work because here's the thing. It's like, if you, this is what I believe. Like if you kind of did that and you were like, Oh my God, well, I didn't have money for groceries, but I love my belt. I think that would be fine, but it's the shame spiral and Mm. that's when you know your life is unmanageable. I mean, sure. A sign of not being able to pay rent is a sign of unmanageability, but like, I'll never forget that like somebody, when I was early on in recovery, hearing someone talk at a 12 step meeting about how, uh, they talked to somebody who was like, Oh my God, I was my birthday and I got so wasted and this happened and that happened. And the person who was an alcoholic said, Oh God. And did you just want to die? Did you beat yourself up? Did you feel terrible? And the person said, no, I had an amazing time. And the sp- speaker said, that's how I knew that person didn't have a problem because it's the shame spiral. Wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, take a look at your behavior. It, this is, but this is the complicated part is it's like, I shop to get myself out of my feelings. I work to escape the moment. I eat chocolate and so the fuck what? Yeah. Like it's not a problem. And mm. like, I think it's very easy to start pathologizing everything. And certainly this happens when people are like, oh my God, you're a sex and love addict. It's like, really? I'm a love addict. Cause like, I'm sad about a breakup. I mean, people will go around saying that stuff and I think it can get dangerous. Mm, that's so interesting. And I think that there are a lot of titles and labels in society right now. And I think that showing that distinction of like, it's about the shame or the unmanageability, like showing these things that are happening on the sideline to help define, is this really a thing for somebody? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because some people... I mean, one other thing, though. Yeah, 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 tell me. You probably don't wonder if it's a problem if it's not a problem. Interesting. You know? Yeah, and it's also, you know, like, isn't the first step to say, like, like you are powerless, or what what is the exact step? Yeah. I mean, step one is accept the fact that your life is unmanageable um, and you're powerless. Um, You know, but now I'm like, okay, I I just want to, because now I'm distracted because I said, like, there are people who will tell you you have a love addiction problem if you're sad about a breakup. And so it's, it is really hard. Like, this is what I say. People will go like they're in an AA meeting and they're like, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic. Well, non-alcoholics don't tend to come to AA meetings and wonder. They don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that that being said, you know, really, I've learned that all I know is what works for me. I have no idea. Well, yeah, I mean, I, we all love your humility, and you're very smart at this. So, I'm but it's keep... true. But it's true. Like we're all snowflakes. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. It is true. We are, and I feel like we're all so different. And we're all so the same. You know, it's like as humans, yeah. it's such an interesting um, paradox. And I feel like, you know. I never ever would have, I don't, I don't know. It's like, I still don't call it an addiction. And I don't know if it's because like, there were a lot of times where I was like, oh, you know, like I'm buying this and I deserve it and I'm fine with it. 
but I think the rec the recovery process for me was fixing a business that went under and realizing like I was the entrepreneur that could afford the Porsche and the house. And now I can't, you know, or, or at that time I couldn't. And as I've been, you know, healing from everything that happened with my business, creating more businesses, creating more revenue, um, stabilizing, I'm noticing like, oh, I can afford to shop and noticing this little part of me that's like, almost intimidated by it. Like, oh, well, I don't want to shop at all because I just don't even want to mess with that. So what do you have to say to the me's of the world? Like, um, who are like, okay, I know that I kind of, this doesn't work for me. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I have an addiction because I can manage it. Like I don't have to go, you know? Yeah. What, what yeah. feedback do you have? Cause I think there's like that weird gray zone of like, it's, yeah. I mean, I think it's hard, too, because, like, drugs and alcohol, it's very easy. You just don't have it. And when people struggle with food and shopping and sex, it's like, well, these Those things are, things are do like every day. a part of your everyday life. So yeah. what do you do? And I am i don't really ha – I, I haven't really had that much experience with those um, process addictions is what they're called. Um, process and I, you know, addictions? I think it – yeah, I think it's just like really logging how it makes you feel, mm. um, how you feel in your body, which I'm not great at, you know, like, where is this in my body? Does this make me feel good or bad? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that the differentiation between like pleasure and happiness, mm -hmm. you know, for a long time, I thought they were the same thing. They're so not the same thing. Yeah, so true. So true. And I think that distinction of where it's coming from, like, um, I, I noticed at, at one point, like shopping gives me an anxiety and the purchase gave me a relief and then I would get anxiety after. Um, and so it's something that mm -hmm. I totally worked through, um, and still am aware of. Um, but I remember thinking, oh my God, is something wrong with me? Like, am I an addict? Do I need to go to like a 12 step thing and do the whole thing? And I just have a feeling that there's so many women on here. Cause I started talking to some girlfriends about it. Like, Hey, I'm noticing that I like, I like shopping a little too much and I don't want to like it this much. And, right. and they're like, well, tell me about it. And I would talk about it and they're like, oh, well, I'm like that too. And then I, I saw myself wanting to justify it. But it was like they were fine with being like that, and I wasn't. Like I didn't. Right. I didn't want that. So I guess it's it's a fine line because, like you said, somebody can say I had a great time, I drank, and I'm fine, and it wasn't a relapse for them. But at one point or another, doesn't it make your life unmanageable if you're not paying your bills responsibly? You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Mm, so. So it's both. It's both. But, um, but I do find over like whatever, 19 years of 12 step meetings and all of this stuff that the commonality is the way people think about it mm. is the shame spiral and the fact that it makes them want to die. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Business Launch Mastermind, our online course to help you launch your dream business. So if you're sick of being stuck and wondering how you're going to get new clients and you'd like to try a free version of our business launch course, all you got to do is head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash biz. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash B-I-Z. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Can you kind of go through the, um, I know you've kind of gone into this, but it, can you kind of give a quick little, it usually looks like this, then that, then that, then that, or is there not such a thing? Sure. I mean, there's all these cliches too. It's like, well, I mean, th what they say, a great one is first it's fun, then it's fun with problems, then it's problems. <laughs> it sounds like a couple of ex-boyfriends I have. 
<laughs> Otherwise known as Ashley Saul's love life. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, it's, um, it, it, and, and I feel so, so lucky. I, I'm actually doing a little bit of coaching. This is not my, basically somebody reached out to me and said, will you coach me in recovery? And that's happened to me before. And I say no, because I don't really know how to teach anybody how to do this. And this person basically said, I will pay you this to try. And I'm like, okay, turns right. out I'll do it. And it's really been rewarding. It's someone I've never met. Um, we're going to meet, but like, we're just talking on the phone and, and, and what he told me was, um, he had, um, his entire concept of sobriety was he had, he had met these people who got sober and then they hid out in their rooms for the rest of their lives. And he did not, he literally did not know until I told him, Oh, you can get sober and you can go to all those places you used to go. And you can actually have way more fun. Like, like Ashley, have you ever noticed I'm not drinking when I'm around people who are drinking? No, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. So interesting. So interesting. And so kind of going back to the process, like I want to paint a picture for anybody listening of what it looks like when their drug of choice, whether it's candy or shopping or alcohol, like what, what is the body, what is happening when they're in the room with their frenemy? I think a, a lot of times I know it's like, um, I can't do this. I can't do this. And then you get a case of the fuck it's. So I can. Then- Is it going to kill me? Probably not. You know, I mean, I know that that that's my experience. Mm, interesting. And, um, do you know on a chemical level, like what's happening? I know that you're not like Dr. Ann yeah. David, but you kind of are to me. I know you are. I know I am. I don't want to ruin that, but no, I have no idea. Okay. And then talk to me about, um, using it for freedom. So first it's knowing what an addiction is, the shame spiral. It's not, you know, it's interfering with the flow of your life. Um, and then you said, use your addiction for freedom. What does that mean? Oh, what did I, what did I mean by that? Well, I I know that for me, what has brought me the most freedom, like first it was like, you know, bow down to AA and 12 steps, save my freaking life. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't enough for me. Like I also do therapy as I've talked about and all of these things, but I have the kind of freedom I have found from talking about this. Like it all started very accidentally. I mean, I wrote books, I wrote these magazine stories, and then I started doing storytelling shows and this freedom that would come from sharing these things that I thought were so shameful and having people not just hear them and relate, but laugh and clap was like the next level of healing for mm-hmm. me. And that's how this company started was basically, uh, you know, it started with people coming to me and saying, I want to write a book about my recovery, or I want to write about my book about this breakdown I had or the lessons that I've learned. And, um, and I've watched them and I've, and I've coached a bunch of, you know, uh, aspiring writers in this too. I watched them time and time again, be scared have the thing come out, be so worried that people are going to judge it and get so much love and so much freedom and have it take their career to the next level. Mm, That's how I feel about my debt. Like when I lost my business, I was so ashamed because when it's a half million dollars of debt, it just feels so big. Yeah. You know, and going from like the 5 million to negative 500, it was like, it took a lot of like emotional processing. But I think as the debt got smaller, I felt more brave and courageous to share it versus being right. ashamed of it. Cause it was so big. It was intimidating. And when I got to the last hundred K left of what I owed, that was when I was like, Oh, I can do this. This is almost over two and a half years later. And, and so I'm kind of curious, like 
Is there a point where maybe it's too soon for an addict to share their story? Maybe they're still working through something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, it's like if you, it's sort of like what I was saying about like you don't end up in an AA meeting by accident. I don't think you have that little voice that tells you you want to share your story if you don't want to. Um, you know, they say like fear is false evidence appearing real. So fear can definitely pop up and say like, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of the self-talk that I hear about from clients the most is why would anyone care what I have to say? What is different about my story? Mm. And I always say, it's like, I do not have that interesting a life and I've made it into eight books and thousands of articles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My life's interesting, but is it eight books and thousands of articles? No, it's how it's told. Mm -hmm. And I truly do also believe like we, my company tells stories better than anyone else in the world. So it doesn't really matter. Like Mm. we're going to make it amazing. Mm. Um, But, you know, but you know, inside, if like, if it's not time to share it, then don't share it. But also always look at the false evidence appearing real. Like, is my fear making me think it's not time to share it? Interesting. And I, I also kind of love what you talked about earlier um, of like writing your book and thinking to yourself, like, if this person can write a book, I guess I can too. I think so many people put things on pedestals and don't look at the variety of people who have approached it and allowing themselves to realize how much they are also capable of it. You know, it's like, we yeah. put so much on pedestals. What, what has it taken for you to stop putting other people or things on pedestals? Because I think when you are humbling yourself and thinking something's wrong with you or working through an addiction, like what was it that you think helped you eventually normalize yourself? I, I mean, I think it was just like, I mean, it's like, well, a couple of things, the pedestals thing, I will say, you know, I've been, you know, around a long time, met a ton of people and realizing that everybody is like working it out has been like illuminating and it's really like, um, alleviated all jealousy. Mm. You know, um, I was with somebody the other day who sold a hundred thousand copies of his book and I'm just like, am I jealous? No, because I'm happy. I'm so happy with what I've got today, what that's going to make it better or different. No. Mm. So, I mean, nobody like to really understand, and you've met a ton of people too. It's like, there's nobody who's got it totally figured out. Yeah. And we live in this society that feeds us a bed of lies, Yeah. you know, that like making the money and buying the house and driving the car are going to fulfill us. And then people wonder why they're unfulfilled. Well, it's, you know, once you kind of get that, you know, we've been, we've been like told lies. And so life is about, you know, let's figure out why we're here. Okay. So we're here to learn certain lessons. So what are my lessons to learn and how can I pass them along? And I think there's no other better way to pass them along than in a book. Mm-hmm. Mm. And one of the things that I love that you said before we started recording, when we we're talking about the steps we might go through with this, it's like, what's addiction, using it for freedom, sharing your story, but then also it doesn't end when you quit the thing. Yeah. So that feels really interesting to me because I think a lot of people go to the AA or talk to people, um, but to hear that it doesn't end, like that feels really interesting. So what does that look like when you think it's over, but it's not? Well, this is actually a very controversial idea to me. It's, you know, cause people are like, I don't want to go to AA meetings for the rest of my life and say, I'm an alcoholic. I haven't had a drink in 20 years. And it's like, I, I don't think I, I, 
I completely consider myself an alcoholic and an addict, despite the fact that I haven't had a drink or a drug in almost 19 years. And it's because I still have that thinking. My alcoholic friends seem to think the same way. And the non-alcoholics that I know do not think that way. And what is the thinking? Massive self-obsession. I say this with self-love. Massive self-obsession. Massive, like, really needing to figure shit out that doesn't need to be figured out. Really taking things personally. Like, everything's a big deal. And I think, honestly, I think that alcoholics and addicts are, like, some of the coolest, funniest, smartest, most fun people I know. But, like, we get bored so easily, and we'd rather be upset than bored. Mm. So it's like... We'll create problems where there aren't any. Anna, I'm dying listening to this because for those of you who are interested in adding Anna David on Skype, her idea is overanalyze. (laughs) So good. You're like, I'm all about me. And I'm looking at your Skype thing on the computer right now. And I'm like, oh my God, you can't make this up. Overanalyze. No, no, no. It's true though. But isn't everybody obsessed with themselves a little bit? Isn't there a level of healthy narcissism that everybody has? I mean, look, we live in a world of of personal brands and influencers. There's a healthy level of narcissism involved in creating your own personal brand that isn't, you know, self-obsessed. Like, where is that line? It's different. I mean, that's all, there's all levels of sickness with that too. But I'm telling you what I'm talking about, I can identify in a second in someone. Hmm. Um, Because it's like, uh, you know, alcoholics do not own the patent on narcissism. But the way alcoholics do things, it's all the same. It's just... um, and, and so I believe, like, and you'll hear people say, I heard it someone say in a meeting yesterday, I'm a grateful alcoholic because, because we are like that. And who knows if like doing too many drugs and drinking too much exacerbated that issue, you know, and sort of fucked up our brains more, but we had to find a spiritual solution. And that's something I haven't talked about, which is like the whole fucking thing, which is that like, I like, it's a spiritual solution that I found. Like, I basically went to rehab, went to AA, and they were like, go pray, go do all this stuff. I was like, no fucking way. I did it. And the desire to drink and do drugs was gone and has been gone ever since. Like, people wow. think we have willpower. I have no willpower. I don't want to drink or drug. Like, it got removed. And to me, that's a spiritual thing. Interesting. And kind of going back to, I don't know, like, people right now who are listening and maybe they're thinking, oh, you know, my relationship with food and my body or um, my relationship with alcohol, like maybe there is something there. Um, What are some steps that you could recommend to them right now? Well, there are, there's a famous quiz. Johns Hopkins University has a, uh, I think it's a 20-question quiz that you can take um, about, like, am I an alcoholic? If you just Google that um, in terms, you know, and, and check out a meeting um, and, uh, and look for the similarities and not the differences. And they say they recommend checking out six different meetings to see if it's for you. And then if that, you know, 12 step is just not for everybody. And again, like I'm just talking about alcoholism. There aren't shopping 12 step programs and all of that stuff. I just don't know that much about them. Um, but you know, I think, I think, um, really for me, the big thing was I didn't understand how much my point of view was going to change. I thought I couldn't live without cocaine. I thought I would always hate AA meetings because I went before I went to rehab. I was like, fuck this place. I'm never coming back here. And like what I just, I didn't understand how ever evolving everything is, how I'm different 
now than I was at 9 a.m., you know, when you and I were texting about Lizzo. Like, of course I'm going to be different tomorrow and next week and next year. Like, that we're always evolving. Yeah, the many, um, many shades of Anna David. But, well, yes. and kind of, I want to go back into, like, it doesn't end when you quit the thing. You were talking about, like, the way you think and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate putting anybody in a box, but it's also very helpful for, like, kind of making recommendations. So it's like, maybe somebody right now has like a spending problem or something and they noticed it and they've been shifting. Um, You were saying like there's like that self-absorption. What are some other features of it that might show someone listening right now like, hey, you've got a little more work to do? Um, Yeah, that's my curiosity. Oh, I think an inability to be in the moment Mm. is what characterizes all addictions. Mm. Uh, this constant need to escape. And obviously because of fucking Instagram stories, we have this uh, like thing we can always escape, like numbing out. And it's like what kids, you know, now, you know, grow people who grew up with computers and video games and all of that. that. It's just that like, I, you know, I think that we think, I think alcoholics and addicts tend to think my feelings may kill me. And to understand your feelings are never going to kill you, that actually it's, it's basically um, follow, allowing yourself to feel those feelings that's going to help you work through it. And you can try to go buy the Gucci belt to escape it, or you can do the line of cocaine, or you can like go on the you know million varieties or whatever it is. But you actually, the only way you're going to get through it is by experiencing the emotion. And the anticipation of it is so much worse than the actual thing. So it's like when somebody's feeling the urge, just sitting in the urge. Yes. Call somebody. And I mean, I'm a big, like, you know, God person, you know, pray, ask for help. But, you know, I think like, isn't there a fine line between sitting with something and avoiding it by making that phone call? Like, isn't that like, what do you mean? It's like, I find that sometimes people who don't want to sit with somebody with themselves will make the phone calls or go out and make plans and like avoid themselves in a way with it. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. I, I think in, from what I've seen, cause I'm that I'm like, you know, I get active. I reach out. I do a lot of stuff when I'm struggling and a lot of people don't like people who reaching out is fucking great. Distracting yourself. Is it reach out and be honest? Don't reach out and be like, Hey, let's go get drinks. Reach out and go. I feel terrified because I'm thinking about my ex-boyfriend and I want to die, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So helpful. Um, all right, Anna, anything more that you would like to share with everybody that I haven't asked you about? Because I feel like you're just a treasure trove of all sorts of things. Oh my God. No, <laughs> I just said we're in love and we I love together. that. Yeah. You and I have a bright future ahead. I think we do. I, I think we do. Maybe yeah. we need to marry brothers. Oh my what God. What do you think of that? I mean, we already both got into a relationship after a whole thing of both of us you know, finding love. So I'm just glad yeah. that we're happy with people. That's a really beautiful thing. Um, okay. Well, I love you to death. I can't wait for you to text me and tell me who the boy was that I was talking to the first time you saw me. <laughs> You're holding me accountable. Okay. Well, where can everybody oh. find you? Because oh, yeah. if they want to get their book published by you guys, self-publishing, or they want to follow you and be completely entertained by your insanity, all the things. Yeah. All the things. Um, So we we actually give free book consultation calls to anybody who is interested. And basically we'll talk to you about, does your book make sense? Is this something that we could work on together? Um, You can just go to freebookcall.com. 
free book call um, and uh, you'll be redirected to a Calendly link. I also have a quiz. Do you have a book in you? Great. Um, and you just go to futureauthorquiz.com and take that quiz. Find out if you've got a story to tell. And um, yeah, and Light Hustle Publishing is the website. Oh, I'm just imagining somebody who's going to take your quiz and find out that they have no story to tell. What a bad feeling that could be. <laughs> oh, my God. And look, nobody who takes that quiz doesn't have a story to tell. Everybody gets an A-plus on that quiz. Because, oh my like, God. Why, why would you take that quiz? <laughs> You're so great. If you didn't have a story to tell, why would you end up in an A, meaning if you don't have an alcoholic problem? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you know, I was on vacation with my family, and I ended up on a nudist beach, but I didn't plan to be there, and I didn't walk in. I just walked, and suddenly people were naked, you know? But sometimes did you take you just, your clothes off? No, I didn't. I stumbled in and was like, oh, I don't think I'm in the right spot. I love a nude beach. I know. you. I mean, clearly, you know, you love a lot of naked things we found out today, so... You know, Go get my Playboy. Oh. It was, I, I was in it another time. We didn't even get into that. I've been in it twice. I, I predict within um, when this episode drops, it's going to be like an hour timed exactly after. There will be a mass Googling of Anna David Playboy. Playboy. I can't wait. It's uh, kind of weird, but I'm going to do it. I'm literally doing it. Um, yeah, you, they're collector. It's, uh, you know, whatever. You, you try to find. You can't find it online. You try. I'm just going to Listen, I used to work in counterterrorism. I'm good at finding. Okay, you tell me. You tell me if you find it. All right. Um, okay. All right, love, love you. you. Thank, Thank you for the so greatness. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys, it's Ash here. So, obviously, you can tell what a beautiful disaster me and Anna David are together. But it was so interesting and it always is to have my friends on the show because I learned so much about them because when do you sit your friend down and ask podcasty questions other than being on a podcast? So one of the things that really stuck with me after this interview was when Anna and I talked about this concept of how your body responds to addiction And um, I think one of the key indicators that I have with myself when I'm not pleased with how I'm relating to something is like extreme discomfort and not wanting to sit in this the discomfort. And I think a lot of holics, whether it's alcoholics, shopaholics, whatever holics, um, and I hate to put a label on it, but it does help for people to be able to self-identify and work something through. I think what it's so fascinating that our body is what really shows us where we're at with it. Like, what is your response when you don't get the thing that you want? So are you addicted to coffee? Are you addicted to sugar? Are you addicted to spending? Um, Whatever it is, what does it feel like when you don't get that thing? And are you okay with that? So um, in my case, like if I don't have coffee, I start to get a little sad. Like, oh my God, I need my coffee. Like the day is never going to be the same. Um, and I'm actually okay with that addiction. So some of you might have addictions that you're okay with. Um, some of you might have a stance on addiction where you're not okay needing anything. Um, so it's just something to look at. And I think that there's a lot of addictions kind of like Anna and I talked about that are socially prized, like workout addiction. It just looks like you're a really healthy person. Or um, workaholism. It just looks like you're a hard worker. Um, So are you hiding behind an addiction right now because socially it looks good and you can kind of slip under the radar? 
that's something to pay attention to, too. Um, I learned so much from this episode. I absolutely love Anna David so much. She's been so key for me as I'm learning how to write my book. I text her all the time for advice. And I'm just so glad that you guys got to connect and learn from her. And I can't wait to hear what you share because of experiencing this episode. Um, Shout me out on the gram as per usual. Let me know. And thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has down the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.